Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Larry Kay, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Wednesday, March 30th, 2016. Today we're reading from the big book, and we are currently on page 48, uh, starting with the third paragraph. Today's readers, we have Martha D. on the 12 steps, and Barbara N. is going to take care of the 12 traditions, and then the readers of the text, we have Amy G., Terry H. and Gail T. The uh, reference number for yesterday, March 29th, uh, is 8613. That's 8613. The OA Preamble, Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop, stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting to our own contributions neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. OA's sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, Each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. Okay, I will now ask Martha D. to read the 12 steps. Martha? Good morning. This is Martha D., a recovering compulsive overeater in Pennsylvania. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. 9. Made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. 10. Continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood Him, praying only for knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you for letting me do service, and I pass. We don't hear you, Larry. Yeah, I can hear you. We can't hear you. Okay, can you guys hear me? Now we can. 
And now oh, you... okay. Hey, a little glitch in the system. All right, I'll now ask uh, Barbara N. to read the 12 traditions. Barbara? Good morning, Larry. Good morning, everyone. This is Barbara N. recovering in New York. The 12 traditions. <clears throat> One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for a group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you so much, and I pass. Thanks, Barbara. Okay, how our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions to the big book or in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star one to mute your phone again. In order to have a quiet meeting, Everyone's phone, except the speaker, should be muted. So today we're going to resume our study of the big book, and we are currently on page 48, starting with, uh, Amy's going to get us started with the third paragraph. It starts uh, with the words, that life originated out of nothing, and she's going to read through two paragraphs, and then we're going to direct the comments to both paragraphs. So Amy, take us, take us on the path here. Good morning, Larry. Thanks for your service. Good morning, everyone. My name is Amy G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Maryland. Grateful to be here. Okay. 
Everybody nowadays believes in scores of assumptions for which there is good evidence but no perfect visual proof. And does not science demonstrate that visual proof is the weakest proof? It is being constantly revealed as mankind studies the material world that outward appearances are not inward reality at all. To illustrate, the prosaic steel girder is a mass of electrons whirling around each other at incredible speed. These tiny bodies are governed by precise laws, and these laws hold true throughout the material world. Science tells us so. We have no reason to doubt it. When, however, the perfectly logical assumption is suggested that underneath the material world and life as we see it, there is an all-powerful, guiding, creative intelligence, right there our perverse streak comes to the surface and we laboriously set out to convince ourselves it isn't so. We read wordy books and indulge in windy arguments, thinking we believe this universe needs no God to explain it. Were our contentions true, it would follow that life originated out of nowhere, means nothing, and proceeds nowhere. Well, again, we're in the chapter, We Agnostics. And if we go back at the beginning, it says, what is our dilemma, dilemma as compulsive readers? Lack of power. And I can certainly understand that in this program, and it's remedy is a spiritual one. I need a power greater than myself to restore me to sanity. And of course, we're talking about step two here. And in this illustration, you know, it talks about science demonstrates that visual proof is the weakest proof. And outward appearances are not inward reality at all. And that always stands out to me when I read it, because as a bulimic, for example, my outward reality was not my inward reality, I can tell you that. I may not have been obese, but I was just as crazy in my head. Well, I had a phase of being up there in weight, but as a very hardcore bulimic, you know, I killed myself on the inside so I could supposedly look good on the outside, and my outside reality was not that case at all. But here they're talking about the idea of a higher power, and they say in this disease that that it's filled with the three Ds, denial, delusion, and defiance. And I find that in the big book, Bill has an incredible way of reinforcing the same thing by just using different wording. In a couple of paragraphs, you know, it was talking about we find ourselves handicapped in our belief in a power greater than ourselves by obstinacy and sensitiveness and unreasonable pre- prejudice. And here it talks about in the second paragraph, we have no reason to doubt it, but as soon as we start talking about higher power, a perverse streak comes to the service surfaced, and we laboriously set out to convince ourselves it isn't so. Well, I looked up in the word, um, looked up in the dictionary the word perverse, and it comes out this, a person showing a deliberate and obstinate desire to behave in a way that is unreasonable or unacceptable, often in spite of the consequences. And that was so true for me, because I couldn't stop putting my binge foods in my mouth. I couldn't stop binging in dark parking lots with bags and cellophane wrappers no matter what I thought and what I knew. Even my, even, even understanding the, the idea of compulsive overeating and thinking that knowledge would fix it or that my will, and I defied, I defied it and I deluded myself into thinking that somehow, some way I could still fix this. I had a perverse streak with my agnosticism saying there was no way I was going to turn to a god of some sort, but then came the disease. Talked about it in step one. John Barleycorn becomes our best advocate, and for me it was Sarah Lee, Captain Crunch, Little Debbie, I mean, you name it. 
and beaten and pummeled by this disease into a state of reasonableness, I finally surrendered. And then they talk about God. I didn't understand it, but I did knew that there were facts there that were true. When I stick the ignition in the, the, the key in the ignition of my car, that my car was going to start. There were things that I couldn't see, but I still understood and believed in. And I had a wonderful sponsor that guided me through this step. He said, look, you don't have to understand it all. You don't have to believe it all. You just have to know that you're powerless and that you need a power greater than yourself. Whatever that may be is all that is needed to make a start. I had to let go of my defiance, my obstinacy, because if I didn't, my disease was going to kill me. And I had to let go of it. And I had to surrender and be willing. And it talks about it in, in, talks about it in the 12 and 12, that willingness is the key that opens the door wide. And that's all I needed was to surrender and the willingness to act. And that was to act on the steps. Step zero, put the food down, put boundaries, stay away from the binge foods, and learn what it is I needed to learn through the process of working this program by those in whom the problem had been solved. I could see it in your eyes. I could see it in the way you're acting. I could see it in the sanity of those who have recovered. You can hear the recovered people on the line when they share. There's something about it. I don't have to see you to know what I hear in your voice, which is peace, serenity, and freedom from this merciless mental obsession that comes with this disease because that's what it is. In all other areas, it talks about this on page 38 in the big book. It says this is after the illustration of the jaywalker. You know, a crazy illustration where people like have lost their legs, we never grow new ones. And it says, however intelligent we have been in other respects, where alcohol or for us food has been involved, we have been strangely insane. It's strong language, but it's true. And that was absolutely the case for me. I could not think clearly. I had my way into a new way of thinking. And that came that there was outside of me. You know, I didn't know the whole God thing. I didn't have to grab or grasp all of it. I just needed to be willing. Everything else could fall. First, that I thought I knew. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks, Amy. Appreciate that. Okay, so we're going to open it up. Who would like to share on what was read? Madam. Katie G. from Boston. Okay, here's who I heard, and I'm sure I forgot. I'm sure I didn't uh, miss some people. I heard Matt. I heard Katie. Melissa. Did I hear Monica? I thought I heard Monica. Yeah. Yeah, Okay, hey, Monica. Who else? Kim Ronnie, G. Kim G. Julie R. Julie. Okay, so I got Maddie. Kate, Maddie. <laughs> oh, goodness. Matt, or Maddie, you know, be it as it may here. Um, Katie, Melissa, Monica, Ronnie, Kim G, and Julie R. Did I miss somebody along the way? All right, let's 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 go with that. And, we'll, and, and please, um... Would all the uh, readers in the lineup here, would you mute your phone uh, until it's your time? And everyone else can mute as well. All right, we'll start with Matt. Matt, you're up. Hi, good morning, Larry. Thank you for your service. Good morning, fellow visionaries. My name is Matt M. I'm a compulsive overeater from Essential, New Jersey. Um, yeah, I, this chapter, when I first started program, 
really hard for me to read. I used to think I was too cool for school, you know, that no one understood what it was like for me as a composer of eater, that no one was just as far gone as I was, no one has as much weight to lose as I do, I was up to 650 pounds at my highest, blah, blah, blah. You know, I was my, it, it was twisting my, 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 it corrupted my intelligence. It became perverse, you know, my, my creative intelligence became perverse. And I used to think there was nothing out there. I, I was never really an atheist. I just believed that if there was a God, he didn't, he didn't have any time for me. He didn't want to deal with me. Because, and then I started to go through sponsor after sponsor after sponsor because I didn't get the connection to a higher power. You know, I went through 14 sponsors over the years. I've been a program. I have one now that's asking me to do something different to be absent for a month, which, I'm, which I was doing good with. Because I, I need to realize that at the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting uh, different results. I don't have all the answers. That, I wouldn't be here if I did. This is the last house on the block for me, you know. I have a, I have a progressive fatal illness. If I choose to go back to the food permanently, I'll, 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 I'll die within a year because the weight will come right back on. I've, I've, I've given away almost 200 pounds, but that's not my doing. That's what I had close friends who I lived with who were helping my food, my help with the program, making outreach calls, the big book. You know, I have to realize I have the whole team behind me and I'm not alone because every time I think I'm alone in this, then my, my cocky attitude of, oh, I got this, you know, comes into play. Or I'm, I'm going to save the world and help everybody else. So they had a habit of, like, saving everybody else, telling everybody else how to run their lives. And for me, I just got got by, you know. But you know, I I I I don't want to be one of those people who believe that life all life goes from comes from nothing goes to nothing after you die. We just go poof, like a magician, like a magician's smoke. You know, I don't believe that. You know, and uh, finally working on getting connection to my higher power. I'm asking my food has never been cleaner, and my my I actually had to change medications recently because I have the clarity of mind to do what's good for my mental health, physical health, and uh, spiritual well-being. This disease teaches me. It's, it's a rapacious predator, but it's also a great teacher. It teaches me that, you know, um, it's persistent. It's right there knocking on the door as soon as I let my guard down. So, you know, all I have to do is not listen to um, somebody once or twice, and I'm back in the food, you know. Um, when I hear that little voice in my head saying, don't do something, that's my higher power intuition. It's been restored. So every time I override that, I wind up back in the food. So... Just for today, I'm willing to shut my mouth and listen to what um, other people have to say because I don't have all the answers. If I did, I wouldn't be in the situation that I'm in. So I'm very grateful that uh, the Bible exists, the program exists, and thank you all for being on the line today. And with that, I will pass. Thanks, Matt. Katie, it's your turn. <clears throat> Good morning, Larry Kay. May I be heard? You are. You can. Awesome. Good morning, everyone. KBG recovered, compulsive reader, anorexic, and bulimic. So <clears throat> came to believe that a power greater than me could restore me to sanity. And yeah, me too. Like um, for so long, I was this arrogant, you know, woman who I was like, you know what? I'm not so stupid that, you know, this God is out there for me because I believed the lie. Like I loved what Amy said about outward appearances not being inward appearances at all and for me I spent my life thinking if I had what you had so blonde hair boobs a boyfriend a husband I wouldn't feel the way I feel and God was not giving me a new family and so if you had this horrible life as evidenced by my brain and the lies that I was basing my life on based on the fear of not being good enough then you would eat 
too, right? You, I mean, eating is a step up from how I am feeling about myself. If there's no, if, um, if I'm not getting my stuff. And this process for me has been a process and it continues to be of uncovering, discovering, and discarding. At this point, all I knew and um, all I know today is that I don't have the answer and that my thinking is completely off, that I can still tell myself, you know, if you did what I did, if the outward appearances would go my way, then I wouldn't feel the way I feel. And hey, guys. This is an opportunity to get with God because the truth is that my life looks a lot cleaner than it used to. It looks a lot better because I don't have the side effects of binging my brains out, thank you God, purging exercise addiction. However, I am still powerless. And you know what, guys? My life is still unmanageable. Just because I don't have these dramatic manifestations of my compulsive overeating, anorexia, and bulimia, my life is still unmanageable. And so again, today where I stand is can I believe that there is something bigger? Can I say, you know what, just for today, God, everything in my life is not going according to Katie G's plan. You know, I surrender the food, I surrender the body weight, the exercise, bulimia, and this other stuff, this is not going my way. But you know what I know today, guys, convinced without a doubt, 110%, getting my way doesn't make me happy. If it did, then the Cabbage Patch doll that I got when I was eight years old would still make me happy. So I am so grateful to know there is a power greater than me that continues to restore me to sanity and defeat the lies and fears that I can base my life on when I'm not spiritually fit. And I'm doing it with you guys one more day. And I'm a sad I do pass. Thanks, Katie. Okay, we have Melissa next, followed by Monica. Melissa, it's your turn. Hi, good morning, Larry. Good morning, everyone. It's Melissa C. Recovered. Compulsive overeater in New York, and um, you know this um, this thought that like this means nothing. You know, we come from nothing, we mean nothing, we're going nowhere. Um, you know, to me, that's kind of like closing my eyes and pretending that all the things around me don't exist. You know, and that's what my disease does to me. It makes me not see the things that around that are around me that exists, the clear evidence that there is some great power. And, um, you know, yesterday was my son's birthday. And, um, you know, as a mother, there's nothing more evident of the power of something greater than yourself than having, you know, than having given birth and having a child, um, having children. And, you know, my son came after a lot of loss for my husband and I. And, um, you know, and yesterday I found myself reflecting on um, after he was born, you know, holding him, just knowing that there was something so great, you know, in my arms at that moment, something that was so much bigger um, than all my wishes and desires. And, um, you know, and for me, that's my higher power. It's this incredible spark of love, of life, of you know, I could understand gravity existing. I could understand atoms, you know, that these things exist. I could buy them completely. They, you know, even though I don't understand them, I bought into it, makes sense. And yet, 
you know, when I'm in my disease, I don't see the love that's all around me. I don't see all the gifts of something so much greater than myself. And the beauty of living in a recovered state is I can see these things today. You know, it doesn't mean I didn't love my children before. I did. But I, you know, but I think I loved food even more. And that is really, that's the opposite of my highest power. That's the embodiment of my lowest weakness. And, um, you know, and today I can just see the sun is shining. Well, that's surely bigger than me. That's evidence of something greater than me. And, um, and that's enough. Thank you. With that, I'll pass. Thanks so much. I appreciate that, Melissa. A little delayed reaction on my part. Okay, we have Monica next, followed by Ronnie. Monica, good morning. Good morning, Larry. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica T, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater in Florida. So here we are in the chapter, We Agnostics, and they're trying to get us to think different way, to look at things differently. You know, our, my way wasn't working. Are you willing, Monica, to, to set aside old ideas and look at something different? So they're talking here about using my eyes visual proof you know i would love visual proof of this higher power of this god i'd love to be able to see him touch him feel him hug him all this good stuff but that's not the way it is and they're saying okay let's start with your eyes monica you know does science does not science demonstrate that visual proof is the weakest proof so i always think this when I'm driving along the road, and how many times may, maybe this has happened to others, I'm driving down the road and I'm, I see something ahead, and I, I might swear there's a person standing up the road, up there by the side of the road. And by the time I get there, I realize, oh, no, you know, it's completely something, you know, a tree stump or something. Who knows? But I would have sworn that there was a person there. Now, can I trust my eyes? I thought I was seeing something. And then the other side of it, they're telling us about the prosaic steel girder. What is a prosaic steel girder? Prosaic, ordinary, lifeless steel girder, a beam. So when I look at a steel beam, I see this big, heavy, it looks like very solid, very dense, one piece of very strong material they use to build skyscrapers with. But they're telling us now, Monica, if you get a little electron microscope out and look at this steel beam, you're going to see that it's made up of all these atoms, which are made up of electrons, protons, and neutrons that are all doing their little thing according to set laws. So what you think you're seeing is, again, not really what you're seeing. So, you know, you're having you're fussing about this God thing because you can't see him. Well, you, you know, you, you're not fussing about all these other things. Well, how about thinking a little different here? And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Monica. Okay, we have Ronnie next, followed by uh, Kim Possible, Kim G. Ronnie, you're up. Hey, Ronnie, we can't hear you. If you would uh, unmute your phone. All right, well, um, hey, Ronnie, um, we'll come back to you. Kim, are you ready? Hi, hi Larry, I'm sorry. That's <laughs> okay. I had, I had to run back from making my lunch. Sorry, God. <laughs> oh, it's all right. 
<laughs> Good morning, everyone. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. You know, outward appearances are not inward reality. You know, I know we often talk about the newcomer in the room, but I want to talk to people like me right now. You know, I was in the rooms for 17 years before I really started to dig into this big book. I had a lot of preconceived notions about what these steps were. So I don't know if you guys remember from high school, but you know, I was told to read like War and Peace, but I didn't have time for that. So what I would do is I would buy the Cliff Notes, and I would try to ruin my book report off the Cliff Notes, and then I would get pissed off because I would get a bad grade on my book report. Well, that's kind of what I did with the 12 steps. I didn't want to go through all 164 pages. So what I tried to do is I tried to work the steps off of page 58, or I tried to work the steps on the wall in the room. And let me tell you, I just want to talk about what were my prejudices when I was trying to work the 12 steps according to the cliff notes as opposed to the actual instructions. You know, step one, I thought, was defined by my consequences. I was a compulsive overeater if I was X number of pounds overweight, if I threw up X number of times a day, if I was X number of pounds underweight. Step two was I had to believe in a power. I had to have a direct concept with God. I had to be totally unwavering in my convictions. Step three was God was Santa Claus. I would give over my will, which meant I gave my laundry list of things I wanted God to do, and if he wasn't doing what I wanted, I would take it back. In step four, I thought I had to make a list of all the dirty, nasty things that I did. And I had to write a history from the day I was born to the day I walked into the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous. In step five, I was trying to get that person on my side. I was trying to make that person hate the people I hate as much as I hated them, and I wanted to prove to that person why I had no choice but to eat. In six and seven, I made this laundry list of, of defects, and then I would try to correct it. I would work on my defects. I would make myself a better person. In eight and nine, I thought I had to repair relationships. I thought I had to work on forgiveness. In 10 and 11, honestly, I never knew the difference. I thought 10 and 11 was, at night, writing a scorecard. These are the good things I did. These are the bad things I did. And I would destructively review my day to say what a jerk I was that day. Then in step 12, I thought I had to be the food and the tool police. I had to be a life coach. I mean, think about it. In step 3, I'm saying I can't manage my own life. And in step 12, I'm saying I'm going to manage your life. And if that sounds familiar to you, and maybe you think that's even true, let me tell you those are not the 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. Those are not the 12 steps that are described in this book. And if that's what you've been doing, ask yourself, what are your results? And you're trying to work the 12 steps according to your six minds interpretation of it. And if that is not working for you, open up this book, crack open this book, and work the steps according to what the big book is telling us to do. Because my experience is that brought me freedom. And with that, I pass. Thanks so much, Kim. Okay, we'll go back. Ronnie, are you there? Uh, I am. Can you hear me? I can. Good morning. Hey, um, I stupidly muted myself. Sorry about that. Uh, thanks, Larry. Um, Ronnie, this is Ronnie P., Recovering Compulsive Overeater in Pennsylvania. Um, when I did step three, when I used to do step three, it's made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood God. And I thought, well, I don't understand him. So therefore, how can I turn my will over to the care of God as I understand him if I don't understand God? And once I really started digging into this book, and really working it, you know, page by page, the God of my understanding was exactly that, a God that I don't understand. 
So let me turn my will and my life over to the care of a God that I do not understand. I could get behind that because that was actually true. It wasn't a defect of mine. It wasn't, it wasn't false in any way. My understanding of God is that I don't understand him, him her, it, source, higher power, no matter what, what it was. I didn't understand it. So let me turn my will over to something that I do not understand. And then steps four through nine is where my higher power, a very specific to me, began to reveal itself. And I've said this before, and I can't believe it's still true, but it is. When you get to step 12, it says, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of doing these steps, you know, we seek to help others, etc. So I didn't really have an understanding of a higher power until I hit step 12. And that was fine. That was fine because step three gave me the ability to turn myself over to something I didn't know. I didn't have to refuse to do it until I understood it. Saying that God is not understandable was good enough. And then that freed me up to just continue following the steps, four through nine. And by nine, I absolutely had this, this transformation in understanding and in some ways, it still isn't something I can even articulate, but it's something that I actually feel on a cellular level. So people on the line, if you are agnostic or you're not sure you believe, then make that your God. Make that your God because that is what is true for you. And then the process will, will, will pull you along, and you will end up with a deeper understanding of something that is not you. And then that is where the real fun of life begins. This is only, this is all foundational stuff. It's not like, okay, by the time we're done here, you can close the book, you're done. You know, the next paragraph that we're going to read talks about God's ever-expanding universe, creator's ever-expanding universe, source, higher power, whatever we call it. So this is only the beginning. Surrender to even what you don't know, and I promise you'll get results. Um, so uh, that's all I got. Pass. Thanks. Thanks so much, Ronnie. Okay, the beauty of technology. Julie just texted me and said she's on a work call. <laughs> now, Julie, everyone knows where you are. But good news is we can open this up to some more sharing. Who else would like to share on what was read? Rachel. Charles H. Ra Rachel W. Rachel Reva Charles. Reva. Anybody else? Carolyn S. H. Carolyn. All right, let's go with those four, and then we'll move on to um, to Terry. Okay, Rachel, it's your turn. Okay, good morning, Larry. Good morning, everyone. This is Rachel W., Recovered Compulsive Overeater, calling from New York. And, um, you know, this section here, it's um, – I almost feel like it's, you know, it's encouraging me, you know, to take a look at my world and uh, the intricacies and, and consider, you know, whether there truly is a, that higher intelligence. And, and, yeah, you know, I mean, I've had – so many experiences like that. Um, I assist women giving birth. So, you know, watching a child being born is, is, is quite, you know, you, you, you quite, you can marvel. I marvel at that intelligence or, um, or camping, you know, like in those early morning hours when everything's so pristine and there's so many different things that I have plugged into my life where I can, I can, you know, tap into that intelligence and, and or, or see it and just marvel, you know? Um, but, you know, why is this important? Like, why is this, you know, this is an OA meeting, <laughs> you know, like, why are we, why is it so important to, uh, 
to be, you know, thinking this way. And, and for me, the reason why it's really important for me to get that there's um, something else out there is because when I'm in my disease, I think that I'm the one that's in control of everything. And I think that I, I, you know, I'm like the person in the audience watching a movie. I mean, the world's been around here for thousands of years. And then I show up and I want to tell everybody, you know, how they should be behaving and acting and, and, and in a diseased state. You know, I think that I, I know better than, than, than this higher intelligence or than, than anyone else, you know, and that's, you know, that's, that's uh, doing anything. So for me, it's really important to get that I am not God, that there is something else out there that, you know, in the, in the whole scope of things, in the scope of history, I'm just a blip on the screen. But on the other hand, you know, my actions matter. You know, the actions I take today in my private moments when, when I decide to work this program, when I decide to lean into these steps, those actions matter more than I can ever imagine. I mean, imagine if Bill W., you know, didn't, didn't consider him himself, you know, as an important person, and yet he went on and, and, and look what he did for us. So I just have so much gratitude, you know, to this program for encouraging me to look deeper into the universe and deeper into the possibilities that, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not that higher, higher, higher power and I'm not God. And, um, and I need to be reminded of that and, and lean into these steps to have that experience in a brand new um, spiritual experience every day. So thank you for so much for allowing me to share. Should I go on? <laughs> Did you? Larry, we don't Larry? hear you. Larry, you're uh, not. I got. Uh, thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Leah. Um, okay, my my bad here. Okay, we got uh, New York. Charles, good morning. Good morning, Larry. Charles H., a recovered compulsive overeater. I believe every time that pause happened, that's a God moment right there. And I, and I could tell you, yeah, it's a God moment. Yeah, you think you think that ain't inspired. That's inspired, right? He's right That's here. Yeah, amen. That's inspired. And, you know, I love to share what I heard this morning. You know, I don't understand God, but I tell you this, I stand under God because, um, and, and that's the difference between, you know, a, a diet program and all this stuff because at the end of the day, something's going to happen. Before the end of the day, something's going to happen, right? And 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 I'm going to need a power. You know, I made the analogy uh, yesterday that um, you know, I I see that my phone needs to be charged up. How come I can't see I need to be charged up? You know, and if I plug in to the step, you know, Harlan said this, and this is a great thing: the most least used steps is step two and ten. Two because you know. Um, I'm, if I'm if I'm not working a program of action, I'm not gonna have access. I'm not plugged in um, then. Um, and you know, I know a lot of people. Listen, you know, uh, I know a lot, I get a lot of calls from people, and and it be you know, oh, I want to do a ten step, and it'd be like their life is falling apart. Well, let me tell you, my life falls apart every day. But something that I can't see, if if the visual proof. If 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 I need to see everything to believe, then what the heck I need faith for? Because there's going to be some things, right? A great medical saint, Doctor Silkworth, his last sentence in the doctor's opinion say, 
although you may come to score, hopefully you may remain to pray. A doctor telling you this. I, no other doctor ever told me remain to pray. There's going to be some things that's going to happen. I don't want it to happen, but it's going to happen that I can't see, but if I pray for it and continue to read the stuff in this book and continue to follow this textbook, it's an open book test, ladies and gentlemen. And I love what, um, 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 in winding down, I love what Ebby, um, Bill was reverting to Ebby saying on page 11, one of them last paragraphs down in the bottom of page 11, when it says, why don't you, before we get to page 12, uh, he says, there is no more power in Ebby than there was in me. So I'm telling a newcomer right now that's in the food, stuck in the middle of the food, face down, there is no more power in me at this minute than there is in you, right? So, you know, my, my good friend Renata G., I love this. Prayer without action is begging. Stop begging the higher power today. Put that action in. Put the food down and work the steps with a recovered um, individual so that you can have access. Step two is the access that we're looking for with, through all the steps. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thanks, Charles. Okay, Reva and then Carolyn. Reva, your turn. Good morning. Uh, good morning. This is Reva P., Grateful, Recovered, Compulsive Overeater in Toronto. Put on my timer. Um, what I'd like to share on is about this idea of visual and outward appearances and what I see. And then the whole concept of arguing and convincing um, myself or anybody I'm talking to, even in program, how um, I'm convinced that something is the way it is. So this, to me, speaks to this disease of perception. You know, and the first thing I saw and had experience with was that I could not control um, my food. I couldn't control the food issue. And I was, you know, so sure and I would argue with you that it was impossible. This was impossible. I can't do it. It can't be done. So the first thing that shifted and the first leap of faith, um, sort of like a step two, being willing to believe that if these people in front of my eyes um, could do what they apparently did and could be the way they were, that there was hope. Um, and, you know, even today in abstinence, this disease of perception and the outward appearances, you know, I had a cancellation yesterday, and my first thought, my first perception is so negative and so doomed um, and that's all I can see. And for me, step two, I just make a leap. It's like a mind shift that maybe not, maybe not, you know, so doomed. Maybe not, it, maybe it's not so negative. Maybe there's another way. And it's that leap of willingness, you know, just being willing to consider. I don't have to know it. I don't have to understand it. I don't have to intellectualize the whole God thing. I just have to make this tiny leap of hope that maybe this is different than what I'm seeing, what the appearance to me in my head is. And someone once described to me um, at a meeting, you know, step two is like taking that little jump or leap 
where I'm jumping over a cliff and I'm terrified. So either this thing that I don't know what it is, higher power, gives me wings, you know, to jump over to the other side to safety or provides a safety net so that I'm safe and protected no matter what. And for me, that's what the shift of, you know, doing the work, doing the steps, it shifts my perception and it's like, oh, there's another way and it's a miraculous way and it's better than I could have ever done. And uh, with that, I pass. Thank you, Reva. Okay, Carolyn S.H., and then we're going to move on to, uh, to Terry. Carolyn, you're up. Hi, this is Carolyn S.H. Can you hear me, Barry? I can hear you now, Carolyn. Thanks. There's a lot of uh, background noise. Is it too loud? Um, we can hear you okay. Okay, I'll be short. Um, Carolyn S.H. from Massachusetts. Um, and I just, I love this paragraph. I love the whole um, discussion of physics um, because to me, when I was in um, high school and college, um, there's nothing that I believed in. And, well, I had a hard time. I grew up in a very um, crazy household, and it was very hard to understand or believe in anything. So I turned to, like, science and looking at the world and knowing that it was reliable. Um, and someone mentioned gravity, and I love gravity. I've actually used that um, as a higher power for a little bit because I knew it was 100% reliable and unchanging. Um, and it just... There's something about knowing how the world works and that um, the universe, like the world spins in its orbit and perfect proximity to the sun and all that. And I don't think that's by accident. So that makes me very, it, it really helps me believe in a higher power that's so benevolent and all about well-being. Um, and there is actually a video that was shown in my high school physics class that shows a bridge, a steel bridge, um, wavering in the wind. Um, and I forget the name of the video. Um, it might be the Tacoma Bridge. Um, but I just love that video because it shows that when we think things are solid, like the nature of the universe is different from that. Um, and to me, that's what this whole paragraph is about. It's one of my favorite paragraphs in the book. So thank you for tolerating the background noise and letting me share. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Carolyn. We could hear you. We could hear you. Um, okay, so we're going to move on to Terry H. is going to take us through the next one. Terry? Good morning, Larry. Good morning, everyone. Terry H., recovered compulsive overeater from Maine. Instead of regarding ourselves as intelligent agents, spearhead of God's ever-advancing creation, we agnostics and atheists chose to believe that our human intelligence was the last word, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end of all rather vain of us, wasn't it? We who have traveled this dubious path beg of you to lay aside prejudice, even against organized religion. We have learned that whatever the human fraternities, uh, frailties of various faiths may be, those faiths have given purpose and direction to millions. People of faith have a logical idea of what life is all about. Actually, we used to have no reasonable conception, whatever. We used to amuse ourselves by cynically dissecting spiritual beliefs and practices when we might have observed 
um, that many spiritual-minded persons of all races, colors, and creeds were demonstrating the degree of stability, happiness, and usefulness which we should have set ourselves. And in these two paragraphs, uh, Pac Jam, but um, again, we're in we agnostics, and um, they're constantly reminding me what my problem is. You know, the first paragraph, you know, it's all about my thinking, and if I continue to, you know, think that I can do this on my own power, then I'm going to get the same results. And this is the attitude that's going to hinder my progress into a new way of living. Um, you know, a good reminder, you know, back on page 45, it says lack of power, that was our dilemma. It doesn't say lack of religion or lack of faith. Um, it says we had to find a power by which we could live, not which we could think. And it had to be a power greater than ourselves. Obviously, but where and how would we find this power? And then it goes on to say, well, that's exactly what this book is about. Its main object is to enable you to find a power greater than yourself, which will solve your, promise, your problems. And, and that's a great promise. That So um, in the second paragraph, you know, it says, we who have traveled this dubious path beg you. So they're not just asking me. They're actually begging me to lay aside prejudice, you know, meaning... Um, lay aside my old thinking, my old ideas, um, so that I can, um, you know, open up. And, and it says, even against organized religion. So here's, you know, here's a sentence right here where I can actually make a, a direction for making a beginning for new thinking, to lay aside prejudice, even against organized religion. And then um, further down, you know, they give me two two or three um, sentences where to a reason to believe. And the first one is, it says, people of faith have a logical idea of what life is all about. So this is the first place that, you know, I have reason to believe. And then actually, and then it says, actually, we used to have no reasonable conception, whatever. So how how was my old way um, working? And they're telling me now that I can, you know, have some sanity if I just open up my mind. And in the third place, down the bottom, it says, spiritually-minded persons of all races, colors, and creeds we're demonstrating a degree of stability, happiness, and usefulness, which we should have sought ourselves. So there's another place for reason to believe. Um, you know, I really had to ask myself, you know, in these paragraphs, you know, am I going to continue holding on to my old ideas until they actually kill me? Or can I just set aside, you know, some argument long enough to give, you know, a spiritual-based life an honest appraisal so that I can just move on and, um, you know, have this new way of thinking? So... With this, it's all about um, being open-minded, and, you know, it was brought to my attention that, you know, um, uh, an analogy with, you know, I can't see the wind when it's blowing, but I can see what it touches, and just like, you know, I I can't see this power, but I can see what it touches, because there's so many recovered people on this line every day, and um, and that, for me, was proof enough, Um, so thanks for letting me share, but that'll pass. Thanks, Terry. We got time for two, possibly two shares here. Who would like those? This is Janice. Tina. This is Bella. Can I share? Okay. Here's who I have. I have Janice and Tina. Bella, would you join us for the next meeting? I would appreciate that, my dear. Okay. So let's start with Janice, followed by Tina. We'll re- revisit this tomorrow. Janice. Yes. Thank you. We appreciate you, Larry. Um, this is Janice M. Recovered, grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater from Massachusetts. You know the hardest things—the hardest thing to open—is <laughs> a closed mind. You know, very hard to open a closed mind. 
So my opened, if I can open my mind to these new ideas, I'm on my way. And that's what willingness is. You know, it talks about the intelligence, you know, an intelligent agent. Well, that's what I thought I was. Well, the fact and the result is that, um, yeah, it didn't work for me. It did not work for me. If it worked for me, I wouldn't be here. I would have figured it out. So now they're talking about, it says intelligence, and maybe about four or five lines below, it talks about faith. About three times it mentions faith. Now, you know, we think, oh, faith, now that's a religious term. No, it isn't. It isn't a religious term. It's, it's, you know, it's really being sure, like positive. Try to be positive of what I hope for and certain of what I do not see. In other words, when I go to sit on a chair, I don't say, oh, let me see. Let me, is it, is it going to hold me? A chair is to, for you to sit on, for me to sit on. Um, you know, and I have faith that that chair is going to hold me. Um, do I have faith that I'm going to, you know, wake up in the morning? Well, I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. So this is what I see, you know. Uh, are you sure that your next trip in a car or my car, you know, will hold, will, will, will keep me safe? Well, I sure, you know, I, I hope so. We're not sure of anything, but at least we have hope, you know, a desired anticipation. And that's what I did when I came in here after being plumbed to reasonableness, that I could not do this with my own intellect, with my own ways of trying to solve my problems and manage my life. So I had to if I wanted to recover. Of course, if I didn't want to recover, then I didn't have to do this. But I could see it in other people. I could hear it with people, you know, in the past few years um, on this line that this happened to them. So, you know, that's what I wanted. I wanted. So, you know, um, that's what I tried. I was willing to open my mind. And that's all I need here. In that, in this second step, you know, if somebody tells me, you know, the Eiffel Tower was in in in, in France, and I say, oh no, it isn't. Well, they saw it, but I didn't see it, and you know, so because they saw it, I, was, I kind of willing to believe that, yeah, it's there. So this is how I reacted to people in here. I said, gee, there must be some other way, and with that, I pass. Thanks. Thanks, Janice and Tina. You get the golden ticket. You're up. Thanks, Larry. Uh, Tina S. Compulsive Eater, anorexic in Florida, and what a fabulous meeting today. And, you know, I really, really love the paragraph. Instead of regarding ourselves as intelligent agents, spearheads of God's ever-advancing creation, you know, that my word was, was uh, the last, the last, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. And, you know, that is certainly my experience. You know, I, I came to Overeaters Anonymous in 1987, and my abstinence date is 1999, because I thought somehow, some way, Tina knew the answer to this uh, problem. And, and it tells me right here that my, my problem centers in my mind, and, and I had to get to a place of reasonableness. And for, the, for me, what it was was, you know, I had, I went down to like 90 pounds for me, and was in starvation mode, and I could not think. And that prior to that experience was my greatest asset was my mind. And so therefore, I couldn't even think. I couldn't put a sentence together in my mind. So what I had to do was just follow other people, you know, until I started eating properly and started to be able to think again. And through that experience, it gave me the faith and the belief because I can remember just getting out of bed in the morning and getting on my knees. And I wasn't really saying anything because I was in another 12-step program, but that was just what I had always done. So I continued to do that that action and um and from that 
you know, I, I've got a, a belief and then a faith that works. And, uh, and today I'm really, really grateful. And uh, with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Tina. Thank you. Obrigado. Gracias, everyone. Okay. Thank you, everyone who shared. And please join us for a, a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. So we're going to now close with a reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And Gail T., are you available to read? Gail, not sure if you're there. We can't hear you. Step up, step right up, anyone who wants to read page 164. I'm here. Um, this is Janice. I'll be glad to read it, Larry. Oh, thank you, Janice. Oh, my pleasure. Okay. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But, obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. So see to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your fault to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Pass.